This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Great to have all you folks here today. What a, what a great day. And we're going we're gonna to be closing up this series we've been doing on Ephesians. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, you're here for the first time. Ephesians is this very short little book in the Bible. And we have to think of the Bible as really as a library. It's a bunch of these different little books. This is a really short one, written by somebody by the name of Paul, about 80 AD. And it's written to a small church, a church that existed in Ephesus. And and it's a beautiful letter because these are letters to churches, to people just like you and me, thousands of years ago, granted, but people trying to do largely the same kinds of things we're trying to do in terms of not just having a message that we talk about, which is nice, but most importantly, having a message that we inhabit and as best we can, in many broken ways, we actually try to live. And that's what this letter is all about. It's, it's trying to give these people a sense of like, like how to keep hope, how to keep moving. What does is, what is community actually look like? And as we've been looking at this, one of the pieces that, that, that really struck me was when the chapter starts, he doesn't use this phrase, but it's what he's talking about. He talks about two-handed giving, how God is always a two-handed giver. And we're oftentimes only a one-handed receiver. Now, let's, let's just get a little loose today. We got a nice summer crowd. Ready? Two hands out. All right. How do we learn to be a two-handed giver when the reality is we usually only want to use, please say it out loud, we only want to use... One hand. Like, I really only want to have one hand. And even with God's blessings, like, I want to receive God's blessing. Like, I want to feel love of the world. And I still want to really dislike that person. Anybody else? Please raise your hand, somebody. You know? <laughs> like, like, we really, I, I want to get this blessing of peace, Lord. I want to get this blessing of peace. But I got so much to do and I need more money. Like these, this crazy part where, where we, we have one hand out, but then we have one hand behind our back. Control's another one. Like, again, this morning, you know, I'm cleaning out my desk, and I'm, I'm looking through it with some old sermon material, trying to, trying to sort it. And there was a basic one we did a couple of weeks ago that we have a choice to trust or to control. It's like I'm thinking, like, God, are you giving me a message here? <laughs> you know, do we trust or do we control? Because if I really want to control, I actually want to control, if I'm totally honest, I want to control with two hands. Not even just one. So how is it? How is it that we do this? How is it that we, that we figure this out about how to be two-handed givers and how to be two-handed receivers and how to really turn that way? And, and I've been thinking about that a lot, like with my own journey. And, and here's this other hand that, that constantly is dealing with control and fear and anxiety and wanting things to look just so and, and worry, does everybody in the whole universe agree with me and like me? And, and it takes me away from this. And can I constantly, even, in, even visually, constantly pull this back to no, Lord, no, no. Thy will be done. Let me receive that with two hands. What I know to be true is if I can receive that with two hands, I can learn somehow to give it away with two hands as well. Learn to receive it with two means I'm going to be able to give it with two. 
And Ephesians is fascinating because, because this, this transition, this shift, this way of seeing the world, it's not easy. It's actually a wildly different way of seeing the world. And, and it kind of gets lost, and, and Paul uses very nice poetic language, but then you, then you pull the language apart, and you realize, like, wow, this is like a totally new way of seeing the world. Totally new way of interacting in the world. And what it might just give me is this. New church, we believe every moment touches eternity. Like every moment you can plop down and it, it sends ripples out to eternity. And I love the language that Holocaust survivor Hannah Ardent had around that. The way she would say it, and I love it, is that every moment can be a beginning. I mean, just think about that here, folks. Like sitting right where you are today could be a beginning. If you want it to be. Now, many of us aren't ready for that kind of big leap because it feels like you'll get the bends. But it could be. Here's Hannah Ardent's words. Beginning is the supreme capacity of humanity. Just look at that first line, folks. Beginning is the supreme capacity of humanity. This beginning is guaranteed by each new birth. And I feel like we go through that over and over again through our lives. Maybe you say the last P word there. It is indeed every person. Now, now you look at what she wrote here, folks. So, so this is a Holocaust survivor. She wrote a famous book called Eichmann in Jerusalem, where she said Adolf Eichmann, he was, he's the banality of evil. In other words, he's the perfect epitome of evil because he had sort of become an automaton. You would think she would have this incredibly dark view of humanity. But she doesn't. In one of her most famous essays, this is how she closes it. Beginning is the supreme capacity of humanity. That idea that even after the things like the Holocaust, that the humanity is always presented by God with the opportunity to begin anew. It's not easy. It takes courage to choose it. Welcome to Ephesians. <laughs> Welcome to Ephesians. Now, the way we believe in the new church that the, that the Bible works is kind of twofold. One is the Bible, it's, it's like when you look at just the, the way it's written, the sense of the letter, some of it's easy to understand, some of it very hard. But underneath it is this beautiful, beautiful poetic sense. So when you look at certain parts, and there's definitely certain parts of the Bible that, that I don't understand, I don't get. And what I know is that if I come to the Bible, if I come to the Word and I look through it, that eventually I'll see these little gems, though, that start to paint this world that I can only barely glimpse some of the time. And I say that with a smile. The Bible then becomes both normative and a trajectory. Normative is in like, yeah, here are just some basic good ideas. Don't lie, cheat, or steal. <laughs> you know, Ten Commandment kind of stuff. But then... There's a trajectory. As Martin Luther King would say, the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. This huge arc, and I kind of think of that as a rainbow, that we can, we can see kind of bending a certain way, moving a certain direction. And can, we, can we live within that beautiful trajectory? And I think, I think we have to kind of put ourselves into it. That's that two-handed receiving, two-handed giving. That becomes that trajectory. That, that, that movement, that arc. And we need to do that because many of us, and I would put myself in this, this is where we get stuck. The challenge is that for many of us, our lives are tragically held together by the wars we fight with others. 
How many of us do that? <laughs> you know, our lives get held together by, by a war that we're having with someone else. It becomes the whole raison d'etre, the reason of being for our very existence. And I think that's what we're cautioned here against, moving away from that kind of adversarial positioning. And what Paul says in this letter is that in Christ, we can start to see that very differently. We can start to see that adversarial positioning going away. We can start to see a very different arc that we're being called to, courageously being called to. There's nothing easy about this. We're courageously being called to. Look at these beautiful words, folks. For he himself, meaning Christ, is our peace, For he has made the two groups, please say the O word there, for he's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That is beautiful scripture. The backstory to that line is a God Easter season on Good Friday on the cross does not sit out there spewing words of vengeance Instead says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think of the power of those words. And the power of those words. That idea there's not an in-group, there's not an out-group. There's us. And when we go out there and we actually live into that us-ness, that the world can start to open and, and connections can start to be made in ways that we have a hard time imagining. Can I share a story with you? We were down this week, as many of you were, a lot of our congregation made trips, a couple of trips down in Kensington. And, and we were down, and I always try to be very prayerful going down, and I have a bunch of neurotic thoughts on my way down every time we go. I've said this before, but I know we have some first-time people. Number one thought, I do not have time for this. What am I doing? Nobody's going to be there. All these different things. And then, and then I get to the point where I can say a prayer like, God, please show me who I'm to interact with. Please show me who I'm to connect with. And there's always somebody. And working, speaking with this one young man, and, and that's what I do is I speak and then I say, is there something I can pray for or pray with you about? And this is somebody really struggling, like really struggling. And he got a smile. He said, all I want is somebody to grow old with. I wanted somebody to grow old with. What happened to all my judgments in that moment, folks? (laughs) May we all be so blessed. You see, that's where Christ and that call can pull down the walls between us. There's no us and them. There's just we. There's just an us-ness in the middle. Where we go out to the margins so that the margins disappear, so that nobody is left there. And it's not that we go out to the margins, folks. It's a way to go out to the margins and be like, I am going out there to find sainthood. When we go out to that margin, when you go out to that margin, you are going to your margin. Not to theirs. You're going out to your margin. So that the impoverished addicted, struggling part of you knows love, knows service, 
wholehearted service and what that can look like. Now, can we live in that place? Can we live in that place? Can we do that? Can we make those transitions? I think there are ways that we can. In looking at this Ephesians quote, I was also, what we're going to be looking at in Ephesians here, I was listening to this one beautiful line. And it's talking both literally and figuratively. It's a, it's, a, it's a Christian man who's very involved with peacekeeping, and he's worked down in Colombia. They were having a civil war in part of Colombia. He went down to work there. And he said, you know, we finally got it turned around. When as a Christian group, we decided we were going to have one core commitment, and we were going to live that commitment out into the community regardless of where people were religiously. Do you know what that commitment was? It's real simple. He said, we will die before we kill. We will die before we kill. What a beautiful concept that is. So as the band comes out, I want you thinking about, yeah, like, like what would that transition look like for you? What would that flip look like, two-handed giving into two-handed receiving? What would that arc, that trajectory look like for you? We can end up in places like that where, where you can understand things in new ways and most importantly, live life. Live life in incredibly powerful and rich ways as well that are all pointed to in this beautiful letter of Ephesians. So just imagine again, folks, I want to come back to that idea of, of, of beginning being the supreme capacity of humanity. The supreme capacity is that we can always begin anew. And that, that doesn't mean that we begin anew and then make a mistake and, oh, we used up our one chance to begin anew. <laughs> it's not how it works. We get to do it over and over again. I mean, that's the joy of, of God is we can't fail God. It's impossible to do. As we, as we look at that, folks, like, like think of that new beginning. Again, and, and think about words and, and just even that, that simple phrase, and I don't know what it could be for you, but, but just that simple phrase, we will die before we kill. Could that be a new beginning for the world? Yes or no? Yes. I mean, obviously. Could that be a new beginning for you? Yes, absolutely. And I'm talking literally and figuratively there. Like there's so many levels of that kind of statement. You see, those are the new beginnings we get to choose over and over again. And those are the new beginnings God calls us to over and over again. And literally, like, thank God for that. So coming back to Ephesians, so, so here's this last chapter of Ephesians. It's only six chapters. And at the end, in chapter six, he starts talking, and he starts, and again, at this time, again, this is, this is thousands of years ago, slavery was endemic in that era. And he says, all right, so with slavery, with slaves and masters, slaves and masters, each of you is to treat the other as Christ, as if they were Christ. Serving the other wholeheartedly. And I love that phrase, serving wholeheartedly. The other as if they were Christ. You can see a trajectory there. You can see a movement there. And then Paul goes on to say something that's really fascinating. I find really fascinating. Something that I think all of us need reminded of again and again. And that's where we pick it up here. Our, please say the N-word with a lot of not energy, all right? Paul is, not. let's say it one more time. Paul is not. not, in case anybody missed it, let's do it a third time. Our struggle is not. is not against flesh and blood. Fascinating, right? Like, there's, there's a line. 
So, so here they're in the midst of all this contention, in the midst of all this persecution. And Paul's going like, it's not about them. Serve wholeheartedly. It's not about them. Your struggle is this. It's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. In other words, it's his way of saying, very simple, the battle is not out there. The battle is, please complete this statement, the battle is in here. Serve wholeheartedly. Don't demonize other people. The battle is not out there. It's in here. And again, I think when, when you read this letter, it's filled with a lot of beautiful things. Again, I think those things are said with a smile. That great reminder to all of us that the work always is in here. That, that, that doesn't mean that we aren't to do things courageously or are to make stands in our lives. Hear me very clearly on that. Hear me very clearly on that. It means we are to make those stands courageously in our lives. We are to do hard things. But we're to do it not from a place of demonizing the other. We're to do it from a place of love and care and courage. Always looking for what's dark within us. Because that's the enemy. Not someone out there. Remember, folks, last week where we looked about knowing versus knowing about? You know how knowing about, we can, we can look at quote-unquote our enemy and, and we can see something out there and, and we can think we just, we just know that's exactly how it is, but then we come to really know the person and, and all of that shifts, but we have to not make them the enemy. I can remember back in the day when I, when I taught in high school, I happened to be part of a little, uh, you know, I was meeting with a group of, of young men and, and one of them all of a sudden took a swing at another guy like, where did that come from? Right? This little, like, boy dust-up. Like, oh my goodness. So, of course, I get on my righteous anger suit, and I go in pursuit of this young man who has stormed away. He's down the hall, and he's crying. Because he's failing math class. And somebody made a comment about his grades. <laughs> you, you, you see, like, like, I think that's what this is driving at. It's, it's so easy to kind of demonize the other person and think like, oh, they're all wrong, they're all bad, they're all this, they're all that. But then when we take time to know, just not know, you know, know about, but to really know, it, it starts to shift. It starts to shift that perspective in simply amazing ways. And what we have to remember with all of this, folks, and this is so important, and I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. I'm going to have you say the V word there first. Love is always, always vulnerable. The more you love, the more it will hurt. Can we all get that? The more you love, the more it will hurt. That's just how it is. And we also know that love is always all, it's both. It's this incredible mix of this vulnerability. Like, like if I'm really not going to demonize other people, I'm going to make myself pretty vulnerable. But in that very vulnerability, there's actually power. There's power because it's authentic. I don't know, and no one's come up to me and has been like, you know, I really like that person. They're completely inauthentic. Said no one ever. 
we are programmed, we are created because it's how Christ works, it's how God works, to have that vulnerability in our lives because that's how we connect. We connect at the vulnerable places. We rarely connect, of course, unless the Eagles win the Super Bowl again, at those places where we're all powerful. I mean, it's nice to connect that way. But really, we connect much more at the jagged edges of our brokenness than in the seamless coming together of our togetherness. It's just how it's set up to work. And we have to be able to do both of those things at the same time. It's interesting, in the the book of Revelation, it goes way back to the end of the Bible, and the same church shows up, different guy shows up, though, John. And John is saying, like, hey, you know what? He warns this church. He said, don't leave your first love. And he's not talking about the first person you fell in love with. He's, don't leave your first love, your primary love of God and other people. New church, we believe they are exactly the same. You want to know how to love God? Love other people. You want to love other people? Learn how to love God. The two go together seamlessly. We're told, like, don't leave that first love. Like, like, keep living into that, knowing that when you step into that, again, it's a paradox, but you're going to step into very vulnerable places and very powerful places as well. And we just kind of know it when we see it. I want to show you a picture. Probably one of you will be able to shout out who this person is. Anybody know who that is? Someone want to shout? Yes, that's that's the Navy SEAL who died in Thailand. His name is Saman Kunan. That is vulnerable love, that is all-powerful love. That's somebody who remembered their first love. Now, I did a little research about this guy. turns out he was retired. He had a different job. And he heard about these precious boys. And he knew what he had to do. And it cost him his life, but within that, was a reminder to all of us about what life really is. A love that is both incredibly vulnerable and a love that at the same time is incredibly powerful. Both at the same time. A miracle to, to think about that. And I think it's, it's a trick of, of the spiritual life, and a trick not like a parlor trick, but like a It's just, it's tricky because we're asked to live in that middle space. I do not, I am not particularly fond of vulnerability. (laughs) I'd much rather be a superhero. All powerful. But that just isn't how love works. And I think this book, Ephesians, many of the books of the Bible are so clear with that. So and then this last chapter, Ephesians goes on and Paul says, okay, I need you to get armored up. Right? I need you to get armored up. Now you can imagine all the young men in the audience being like, where are the swords? You know, where's the stuff? Ready to get armored up for the fight. Right? How many of us would love that, you know? Let me get armored up. But this is what Paul says, and it's, it's beautiful because there's po- poetry in here, and some of it I don't even understand the language, but I just know it to be true. This is what he says. Put on the belt of truth. 
the breastplate of righteousness. And look at this next line. This next line is so good. I don't understand it at all, but it's absolutely true. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Isn't that good? I don't know what it means, but that's really good. You know, just like, yeah, even have your feet, your feet all wrapped up in the good news of peace. So you can move because it's a journey, because it's a trip, because it's a travel on what the original Christians called the way. And the best shoes you can get are the shoes of peace. Wrap your feet like that. Take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, carrying, I'm going to have you say the S word there, carrying the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, notice, does it say to smite your enemy? Does it say yes or no? No. No. Say it one more time. Yes or no? no? No, it does not say that. It's just saying like, yeah, get armored up to move this message forward. Not to conquer, not to kill, not to wound, but to heal, to love, two-handed receiving, two-handed giving. You can't do that with a sword in your hand. And that's powerful stuff that we're being called to. I think as we close this series, I want to talk about that particular call again. I think, it's, I think this is important. It's easy to look at this stuff, and it's, it's, it's easy to, to glance over it. And it's easy, it's easy for me, at least, to, to, to forget that this is a call for me and a call for you. It's a call for us. I was listening to, to a Quaker author, and, and she had this beautiful line, Elsie Boulding. She said, we all live in a 200-year present. I'm going to walk you through these questions. Just, just do the math roughly in your head. When you were an infant, who was the oldest person who held you? Think about that for a minute. Somebody just want to shout it out? Who was the oldest person who held you? Grandmother. How old was she, Beth? Okay, 78, 80. So, so you know, held by, by a grandparent in the 70s, right? And then you look at the youngest person you've just held. Guess who I got to hold yesterday? Little, little Charles. Little Charles, eh? you know, Chris and Ashley's baby. I got to hold him. He's all like five months old. He thinks I look like Santa Claus. That's all good. And, you know, he's probably going to live to 90. So right there, if I take the oldest for me, 70 or 80, I add on 90 plus my old age, my own age, 39. And, and, <laughs> and do you see how it quickly gets to 200? Do you see that, folks? Isn't that amazing? You just don't live in this moment. You just don't live in this moment. You live in a 200-year present. I mean, Chris took a picture of Ashley, and we, we all got a picture, you know. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, one of these days when I'm old and gone, maybe Chris will be pointing at that picture, and he's going like, oh, yeah, that's the pastor who baptized you way back when. Maybe there'll be some touch point there to this present here, this 200-year present. See, I, I want to keep the mission of what we're trying to do within that. So you understand that, that it's, it's not just about having a good day this Sunday. It's about something that touches the past and something that touches the future. And can we stretch into and through both?
Can we regard every moment in that as like, yeah, what's the new beginning I can have right now? Right now. Thy will be done. That's where it will start. What can I have right now that will touch this past and will touch the future? A 200-year thing. Now, I want to show you a picture, I think, that, that got to that for Now, this is a picture I've used in here before, but it's just so stinking good. Such a beautiful picture. That's this picture here. So you see the picture of the couple in the middle, and it's, again, some of you have seen this before. That's Bill and Carol. This is out at my little home church I grew up in out in western Pennsylvania. This is, the church was actually built on the, on the hill I used to sled on, the old cow pasture there. And, and Bill and Carol, I, I was invited out because they, they lived a couple of farms down, dear friends, and they asked me to come out and celebrate their 50th. And, and it's, it's just, it's, it was a beautiful, beautiful event to celebrate their 50th and then do a little blessing. And then we did a hands-on blessing similar to what we do. That's their son to their left. That's their adopted son to their, their right. You know, just incredible, incredible stories. 200-year present. Like, I want you to look and see which, which one of those, those faces in there strikes you first. All right, which one of those faces strikes you? All right, which one? Then I want to show you on the next slide the face that strikes me. See that little guy? Yeah, flip back. Right there. Sort of where's Waldo? All right, and flip back. And then flip back once more. 200 year present, folks. What's that little boy learning right in that moment? I mean, I don't really have the answer. I'm just, you know, like, what's he learning? What's he seeing? What's he learning to celebrate? What's the call of a life well lived that he's getting to see right there? What's the 200 year present that that picture? is capture. I think what that does, folks, is it creates a gravitas to the moment, a gravity to the moment. Not a gravity as in like, this is really serious work. It's not that at all. God does everything with a smile and a laugh. Please remember that. And there is this gravitas What are you going to do with your 200-year moment? What are you going to do with it? Who can you touch this way? Who are you called to touch this way? Receive two hands. Giving with two hands. What can it be? Ask that question not with a sense of dread or that you're doing it wrong or that you haven't done enough or that your resume looks bad. Do it from you are enough. And what's the call today? Amen. I'd ask you now to please join me in prayer as we close this series. After I offer a prayer, you have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have a moment of quiet reflection or just have a silent prayer, and then you're more than welcome to join with the band on an absolutely wonderful last song. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. and Thank you for the many lessons 
that we can pull from the book of Ephesians. Today, Lord, allow our hearts to go forward with the idea that we are to serve wholeheartedly, that we are as best we can not to demonize the other, that we are as best we can to be 100% accountable for our part in this world, for making amends as best we can. Serve wholeheartedly. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And from that place, Lord, allow us to live courageously in each of our 200-year presence. Presence that stretches back, a presence that stretches forward. Allow us to live in that place, that mile run right there. And allow us to hear the call and heed the call. Not with urgency or frenetic scrambling, but just with a simple sense of this is what we are called to. Give us the courage to hold what we are called to with two hands. Give us the courage then to act on what we were called to with two hands. And give us the courage as always to love to love with two hands. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.